Father, I thank you for this day, and uh, Lord, thank you for all the people that are here. God, thank you for what you're doing in their lives, even if they think they just rolled in here, um, I don't know, for some earthly reason, that that's part of it, but you had a divine appointment for them, and I pray that you'd meet them right where they're at and fulfill what it is you need and want to do in their lives, and they would be open to that. God, you're incredible because you don't force your love on us. You don't even force um, man, the good that you offer us on us, Lord. So I pray that people would not reject what you, what you want for them and would be open to that, whether it's healing, restoration, uh, and all the things that haunt us, God, that, that you drive away. I just pray that you would bring that peace. And Father, I pray that you would help me to preach your word, to preach it well, and that I wouldn't get in the way. And I'll give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus Christ, name we pray. Amen. How you guys doing today? This is a good one, man. I get excited when you guys give good ones. <clears throat> oh, and then you just lost it. All right. Hey, welcome to the Remnant. My name's Todd. I'm the pastor here. So last week, kinda. Kinda. Why do I say kinda? Well, you got to come to the Christmas Eve service if you want to see what I mean by that. But this is kind of the end of this series. <clears throat> What's the series? I haven't been here in a while. It's my first time. Well, we're sort of... Uh, we're talking about a cradle, cross, and a crown, and what we're really doing is looking at one section of the Old Testament that foretold the idea of Messiah, Savior, Christ, that's who he is, and how sometimes maybe our modern uh, lack of, I don't know, appreciation for that term, we don't walk around and go, hey, met my Messiah, right? We don't use that terminology. We can kind of lose the importance of it, and so that's what we've been studying. <clears throat> um, that's it. Makes sense? All right, moving on. So, who here, raise your hand, I don't know why I do this, because like, there's literally people that no matter if they've heard or not, they're not going to raise their hand, they're not going to do it. I know who you are, you know who you are. Who's heard of the word shalom? Shalom. Nice. All right, if you don't want to raise your hand, please raise your hand. Gotcha. <laughs> Saw you, heaven. Anyway, uh, yeah, shalom. So the first time, I think I'd heard of it on TV before like growing up, but um, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't go to church. I told you guys I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't, I didn't really know anything about the word, but I remember hearing it, you know, and on TV with rabbis is what, in my mind, associated with shalom, right? <laughs> and uh, my first real interaction with it, though, happened my freshman year of college. My freshman year of college, I went to Manchester College. Any Manchester folks here? No? Great. <laughs> Some one person's like, ooh, maybe, I don't know. Like, I'm with you, yeah. I transferred out, so I'm with you. Um, but uh, I had a good time. So <laughs> I said that in case some random Manchester person's watching and they're offended. So I went to Manchester College. I think it's called Manchester University now. Is that correct? M-U, fancier. Um, well, I went there. <clears throat> I, I first person in my family to go to college. I had no idea what I'm doing. You show up, and... The first week, at least at Manchester at the time, you kind of, some of the classes uh, had an English, you sort of take tests. So some tests you take ahead of time, like Spanish, which I tested a year out of, which was a foolish mistake because I didn't want to, and then I show up, they're speaking only Spanish. I, I have no idea, and I was humiliated like in a movie. I'm just venting my hurt. We'll move on. That's, that has nothing to do with this. Um, but in the English class, we had to do a writing assignment, and then this writing assignment she, we didn't know this. She was sort of judging where we were at writing-wise. And really cool lady because she actually encouraged me. Part of the reason she made me stop after class, this is a half brag, half, like you don't know when you encourage people, teachers, that it can stay with you. I'd never had anyone do this, and she made me stay, so I think I'm in trouble. It's like the second week of college, and she's like, hey, I'm going to talk to you about your, your essay. I'm like, okay. And she's like, it's, you know, and she ended up saying, are you an English major? I'm like, Yeah. At the time, and then she essentially said, good, because, you know, you're a good writer. That stuck with me. What an encouraging thing. Just a little bonus. So she was really nice. I liked her. But one of the things, older lady, but one of the things that was interesting about her is she, when she emailed, she would end her emails with shalom. Right? She would end her emails like shalom. And I remember going, well, this is hip and cool. Like, cl clearly classier than me. This is, I, I, I'm kind of remembering a faint Embarrassing moment. I may have written that back to her at the end. But uh, she used it all the time, and it didn't seem weird to her, to me. Like when she said it, it sort of rolled off her tongue. Shalom. She was not Jewish. 
And I remember looking it up and realizing that essentially the way I remember when I looked it up is it meant peace be with you, right? Now, as you study it more and kind of learn, I remember, oh, because this is the kind of nerd I am. David, you're with me here. We go down rabbit holes, right? Started to know what the word meant, and I, who knows where I ended up. But I remember that it essentially meant peace, peace be with you, which I thought that was interesting. But what I also thought was interesting, I remember, is that shalom, right, in Jewish culture is used both as a greeting and a goodbye. Imagine that. We don't have a word like that. Goodbye. Goodbye, right? We have, it, it means both. So that's interesting. Now, here's the, the, the fascinating thing to me. Shalom has a much kind of deeper meaning, though, as, I've, as you've looked into it. <clears throat> and it's in the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, before we go on, clearly in Greek, they're not going to use a Hebrew word, but there's a, he- a Greek word that's, that essentially uh, means the same thing. So we'll come to that. I just want to say that. But it's throughout the Bible. Shalom essentially means, in particularly ancient Hebrew, it means well-being in all aspects of life. Well-being. So physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It can also be translated in the Old Testament uh, to make restitution for. Right? Pay something. Restitution means, hey, I'm going to make this right. It also means has been translated to like, shall surely pay. I'm going to pay you back, right? I'm going to pay you back. And also it can mean restore. So you're kind of like, okay. But if you really put all these words together, oftentimes the way it's used most commonly is is in the concept of like being reconciled with God. Shalom is peace, right? We translate peace. But it means like a peace and a reconciliation with God that then brings every aspect of your life into prosperity, for lack of a better word. You with me? Hey, blue shirt. Yeah, you distracting. Moving this kid to the back, all right? <laughs> Someone's going to watch and go, he just called out a random kid. No, I know that guy. Uh, so overall, guys, listen, I'm very excited today. So don't ruin my excitement. Don't pop my balloon, all right? I understand this is somewhat boring maybe for you, but it won't be if you listen. This is incredible stuff, all right? <clears throat> all right? Thank you. Jaden's with me. That's it. All right. Overall, and this is, this is what I, I really want to focus on. Overall, if you were to put shalom into kind of one overall meaning to take all of these, it means to make something whole. So you imagine like you got a big, I don't know, is it called a loaf still when you bake it? I always, clearly, I don't do much baking. All right, you have a loaf of bread. There's something chopped out of the middle. It's the idea of putting it back in, right? A puzzle piece makes something whole. So now you can kind of understand why it can mean restitution, right? Have you ever heard the phrase, we don't use it much anymore, hey, I'm going to make you whole, right? I think uh, gangsters used to use it. Hey, we'll make, we'll make you whole over here. You know what I mean? You, something happened to you, we're going to make it right. All right, over here. You get it, Eli? <laughs> So, this is beautiful, listen, so when they say it to you as a greeting or a farewell, when it's used as a greeting or farewell, it means, may you get everything you need for prosperity and peace. May you get everything you need. What do you mean by everything? Everything. So they're essentially saying, I want, may you find everything you need to be whole. It's a pretty powerful word and thought, which means... This professor is even cooler because she was saying that, right? And as we continue to, to study the idea of Messiah and the description of who he is, who he would be, that's given to us in Isaiah 6, 9. So if you haven't been here, I'm sorry, 9, 6. I do that constantly. Number dyslexia, 9, 6. In uh, Isaiah 9, 6, essentially, Isaiah the prophet gives us a picture of, and to hope, gives hope to Israel about this Messiah. Someone is going to come and save you in the midst of this war, in the midst of you losing everything. Don't worry. Someone from the line of David, remember, David is, is viewed the way we view it, but even more of like he was the good king, the perfect king. Someone is going to come through that line and going to restore Israel back to what it was. Now, I'm getting goosebumps. Let's just tell you how good this is. I know you're a passionate guy, Jacob, so you're with me here, all right? <clears throat> when you... F- it gives four different words that we translate, and we've been studying them all. So when it's set, we'll, we'll read it right now. As we continue to study the idea of Messiah and the description of who he would be given to us in Isaiah 9, 6, this idea of shalom comes up in one of the names given to us. Okay? Throw it up, fellas. 
hope I'm right. See, 9-6, I caught it. Zeke, see, you like that? All right. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. So this is usually, right, the last phrase, Prince of Peace. When we think of peace, we tend to think of that in the modern Western United States version, meaning end of war. Peace means no conflict, no war. But if we remember, just what I just told you, that the idea that this word is actually shalom, then prince of peace is not, not really even conflict, lack of conflict is part of it, but it's not the main goal of the word peace. If we remember that the word translated peace here is actually shalom, then there's a hint of something even more incredible that will help us appreciate Jesus Christ our Messiah. But you have to focus, you gotta listen, because I'm telling you, this has encouraged me, and I think it'll bring encouragement to you, and it'll, it, it changes the whole, let me put it this way. No joke, I don't say this often, this has essentially changed almost my view of the entire New Testament. I'm serious. I'll, I'll bring that together at the end. So, Prince of Peace, if I, you know me, I'm a Hebrew scholar here, Sar Shalom, that's the word, Sar Shalom. Shalom, peace, Sar, Sar means uh, we translate it peace, but it can also mean ruler, chief, commander, lord, prince. Now, when we think of it, this doesn't mean prince in the sense of like Jesus is lower than God because we know Jesus is God, so throw that aside. Prince in the sense of representation, role. He is the prince of peace, but get awesome, and that sounds good. In every translation, you'll find, I looked this up, I was like, somebody's got to translate different. Nope, prince of peace, prince of peace. That's fine, it makes sense, alliteration, prince of peace, but listen, it could also be the ruler of peace, the lord of peace, the commander of peace, the ruler of peace, the prince of shalom, the prince of wholeness. The bringer of that. The one who will restore God's plan for shalom. Guess where shalom shows up first? The idea of shalom. Genesis. It is good and it is whole and it is perfect. We were in shalom with God. And then what happens? Sin enters, breaks that. And ever since, we haven't had shalom. Because you see, listen to me. The kind of peace here, and we're limited a little bit. In English, it's not attainable by human means. You can't have shalom without God because he's the only one that can command everything. The Messiah, the one that Isaiah said was going to come, this, this child, this Messiah among his other titles would be called Prince of Peace, Prince of Shalom. Now, I want to stop for a second because this is the end and i got to fit a couple things in, right, of the series. I say title for us, but in Hebrew, if you were to translate it, when it says wonderful counselor, mighty God, that's all one name. It's a name, not a title. Now you're kind of like, okay, what's the difference? Because names meant something in Old Testament. You would name someone and it had a meaning, right? Adam means what? Anyone know? From dust? Right? What happened? What do we know about Adam? Came from dust, he's going to return to dust. Right? Man. It's a reminder of who we are. So all of these things are, this child will be called. His name, his role are all of these things. He is these things. Not just he, there's, a, there's a crown waiting for him. He is the embodiment of it. Now let's think about this. You ready? Wake up, Mandy. Right? Prince of Peace. Oh, that's nice. Old Testament. You with me? I will throw this podium. I know you want me to. Please don't do it. All right? So now, remember what I just said about peace. Luke, not you, not the muscle guy that's in the room. All right? The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. I bet you know this section. Let's listen to it. Ready? Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you. This is when the angels show up and talk and tell the shepherds, all the people, hey, guess what happened? If you ever think you're not important, who'd the angels show up to? It wasn't kings and princes. Talk today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in clothing and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host, all the angels, with the 
the heavenly host with the angel, with him, this one angel, praising God and saying, listen, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Shalom. He's bringing shalom. Who gets shalom? The people he favors. What you've been waiting for, you right now, is fulfilled in Jesus. So Old Testament, shalom, right? Stay with me. I'm about to change your life, maybe. Well, the Holy Spirit, I'm just here talking. So Jesus himself, so, then, so we already have the direct connection from the Old Testament, right, to the New Testament, that the, the Messiah is characterized by the peace that he brings, the shalom. I already know you don't get it yet, but that's okay. I'm going to connect it with you. Because, see, the problem is some of you are in, not in conflict right now, and you can't get the idea of conflict out of your mind. So you're like, yeah, it's cool, Todd. Life's okay right now. It's not bad. It's not good. But because there's not direct conflict, the idea of peace sort of floats over your head. You don't really want peace. You want contentment. You want happiness. That is shalom. Jesus is an adult man. One of my favorite sections in my favorite gospel, right? John. We talked about this, and it's a setup even in the last couple weeks. John 14, 27. This is Jesus himself. Ready? You ready? Peace I leave with you. Shalom I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. See, when you read that, sometimes I read it, and I'm like, I don't feel peaceful at all. What are you talking about? Things are harder. But that's because we're viewing it as lack of conflict instead of shalom. How do we know that? Well, Jesus tells us who he is. I am the one who brings shalom. Now, again, it's not going to be the direct word. This is a Greek version, but the, the words are the same. The concept's the same. I am going to bring shalom. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to leave you with it. My peace I give to you. What kind of peace? The only kind, right? The kind only I can give, and I don't give to you as the world gives to you. What does that mean? Well, I don't give you a kind of peace the world gives you. The world says you're peaceful, but it's until the next big thing. He says, I give you a kind of peace that, that leads to hearts not ever being troubled or fearful. I don't bring you a lack of conflict. I bring you shalom. I leave you with shalom. Let's move on. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. We used this, didn't we, too, a few weeks ago, right? What does it say? When we talked about counselor, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Shalom. What does Jesus say? And John, towards the end, right before they're coming to crucify him, John 16, 33, listen to this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in the, this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. I can bring shalom because I've conquered it. You're going to have trouble. There's our clue and why some of us in this room, you lose hope and you walk away from God and church over and over and you come back when things are good or when you need help and you leave when things, because you're not understanding what he's offering you. He's not offering you an easier life. He's not offering you no conflict. He is offering you shalom, a peace, a wholeness, a fulfillment that isn't based on circumstances, which what kind would you want? Do you want a cheap peace that's like, hey, I'm going to calm your life right now, but it's only going to be calm till the next big thing comes? See, that's what so many of you live in and why Christianity feels empty to you because you thought God came to say, no more conflict, easier, money, wives, all the things you want when you're not getting that. That's already been ruined. We ruined that. You ruined that with your sinful actions. You aren't going to have perfect peace with no conflict. You need something else. So You know, it's like being lost at sea, and you guys demand a ship, and because, and because you want a ship, you're not going to accept the life raft with the promise that I'm coming in the ship? No, I'm not taking it. How dare you? I'll drown to death. Be courageous. What does he say? You will have suffering. How does that make sense? Now start, start thinking about it, right? You ever read that verse and go, I don't understand. I'm going to have peace, and then you're telling me I'm going to have suffering. That doesn't make any sense. 
Well, it can't be a peace that's tied to lack of suffering. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said that. We have to wake up to what the gospel says. Here's the gospel before we get to the good news. We ruin things. We're sinful. We're selfish. Right? We're talking relationally. We're talking sinfully. This world is infected with the disease. It's not in shalom. Because we walked away from the creator. Now, here's the thing. The shalom Jesus offers you is a taste of what's to come. Because he will bring everything back to Eden. He will bring everything back into shalom. You're still not getting it. That's okay. Galatians 5.22. Now, the whole New Testament, I told you, all right? Galatians 5.22. We read this a few weeks ago. Big famous one. Hey, right? But the fruit of the Spirit. Those, the Spirit is what? Who has the Spirit? Somebody's raising their hand. Nice. I have it. All right. Who has it biblically? Who has the Spirit? Believers. Yes. Christians. So some of you all in the room are like, well, I get it sometimes. You're not it. You don't have it. You don't get this. See, this is where I sound mean and where I'm not, you know, I, I sound mean sometimes. You don't have this fruit. Well, Todd, sometimes I have peace and sometimes I have patience. Sure. Yours is always dependent on circumstances. That's the difference. See, of course all humanity, people that don't believe in Jesus have moments of love, they have moments of peace, they have moments of patience, but they don't have the ability to have it when not attached to circumstances. That's why their life is about trying to make life and creation around it. Most religions come under order. Whose order? Mine. If I do the right thing, things will be in order in my life. Galatians 5, 2, though, but the fruit of the Spirit, this is what's promised to you if you're in this room and have put your faith in Jesus Christ. This is not, listen, this is what drives me nuts. You've been told wrong. This is not a nice word. This is not a maybe. This is not if I do everything right. No, you have this. You're the only people in all creation, in all this earth, you are the only people that have this fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. What kind of peace? Shalom. Well, how can he promise me that when my husband's yelling at me, my wife's yelling at me, my job's a jerk to me? So then what? What Your mindset of peace is wrong. Now, those of you in the room that aren't Christians, you're not going to understand this fully, but you need to trust me, and I'll wrap it at the end. You need to listen to me. The peace you're looking for isn't going to be found anywhere else. Now, people don't want to tell you that. Even me, I'm like, well, if I tell them that, then the next time something bad happens, they're going to give up on Jesus. That's just because I'm trying to save you instead of trusting God to save you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. What can a believer get? Well, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. Right after that, he talks about the counselor. Right before that, he talks about the counselor in that section. The counselor is the Holy Spirit. So now we understand. He says, hey, I'm sending you the counselor when I go away. I'm leaving you peace. In Galatians, we now see that, hey, guess what? Because you are sealed with the counselor, guess what you get? Peace. Thank you. One person. Yeah, peace. So I'm going to give your list now, and I'm going to tie it up. Because you need to understand. You ready for this? You're going to like the title of this. The whole of peace is good. Gina doesn't like it. But it's, it's a good word play. The whole of peace. Right? All right. So I want to explain what this can mean, right? The idea of shalom. One, it means peace with God. Well, that's nice, Todd, but my life's chaos, and I would like some peace in my finances. <laughs> no, right? Peace with God. Peace with God. Reconciliation with God. If I snap a branch off a tree, okay? I've got, I've got the branch. It's going to die. All right, don't tell me some random tree in Amazon that regrows itself, okay? Your typical tree. You snap the branch off, it dies. What if I water it? Probably help it a little bit for a while, right? I put it in sunlight. It's going to help it for a while. What is the only thing that is going to make it whole again, right? You ever heard of grafting? You can do that. It has to be reattached to the tree, so then, right, if I, if I snap it off, maybe the leaves that are already on it are going to stay a little green if I put it in water. It's going to last for a while, but eventually it's going to die. There's not going to be fruit. There's not going to be healthy leaves. They, they're just they're prolonging the inevitable. It's the same in your faith. 
You want all of the benefits. You want the, the healthy apples. You want the green leaves. You want all this. So your focus is on what the fruit versus the fruit giver. Peace with God. When the, when the branch is put back on the tree, the branch is back among the branch, or the branch is back among the other branches. The leaves are going to stay green. Fruit is going to grow. It's going to be healthy. It's going to live. All of the things that it wants, the fruit of its labor, the fruit, all of that will come, but not until it is what? Restored to what it was broken from. Peace with God is the promise of shalom. That you go in this room right now, well, I'm cool with God. Well, he ain't cool with you. If you aren't, don't know Christ and haven't put your faith in him, listen to me. And I love you enough to tell you this. And some of you think I'm mean and you, because the pastor on TV lies to you because he doesn't care about your eternity. He cares about your money. I'm going to tell you the truth even though it's not popular. And it wasn't popular then, it wasn't popular now, but it doesn't mean it's not good news. Your view of God is really irrelevant. What matters is his view of you. You must be made right with God before anything else. How do I be made right with God? Well, there has to be what? Peace, restitution. Something has to be paid back to make it whole. Everything you've done, all the sin and evil you've done, all the wrong you've done, that part of you that no matter how hard you try still does wrong things, thinks wrong things. That is an affront. What does that mean? That means a holy God hates it. You're not preaching love. Of course I am. But the love isn't shown, right? If you're about to jump out of a plane and I give you the last parachute, that might, you in that moment, that's going to be love. If we're sitting on the ground and I give you the last parachute, you don't think it's love. You're just like, what the frick is this? It's a parachute. I'm on the ground. You need to understand the importance of your situation to appreciate what you are being offered. This isn't a parachute on the ground. You're dead. You're dead. You just don't know it yet. You're a branch snapped off a tree. And that's why you're mad, and that's why you're sad, and that's why you get mad at people that tell you the truth. Because at the end of the day, you're trying to jump from, from water to water or try to plant yourself or someone tells you this or someone tells you that. It's a hard truth to be told that you're not good enough in a world that wants to tell you it's all about how you feel and what you think. No, your poor self-esteem can't be fixed through Oprah. It needs to be fixed, right, from the inside out. The, your self-esteem is fruit that comes from a healthy relationship with your creator. Because that's the only identity that can't be taken from you. And we know it. You're offered peace with God. You're offered what? Jesus, the Messiah that is coming, is going to do. It's, it's so incredible if you let this sink in. Remember, it means make restitution to, to pay for. He is both the payment, right, and the wholeness giver. He is the wholeness maker. He is the prince of wholeness. The whole inside of you, the thing you're longing for, you're trying to look for, it doesn't matter what it is. He's the answer. That sounds all Christianese. No, it doesn't. Because your, 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 your mind doesn't understand yet. You're focused on the wrong things. Well, if he loved me, I wouldn't have this temptation anymore. You know, if, if God was real, he would let me what? He would let me uh, leave. He would let me uh, sleep with whoever I wanted to. He would let me pursue whatever love I want to love because it's natural. Well, it's natural for an unhealthy, well, a branch off a tree to have dead fruit. Stop putting your identity in, in the fruit. Your identity comes from the tree from which you come from. Now you put that dead branch onto the tree, right? And it's got unhealthy fruit. Is it going to take a little while before it gets fully healthy? That's life. But is it still part of the tree? The process of sanctification is the most important thing is to be grafted to the tree. Some of you might give up. You go, I don't know. I, you know I've come to know Christ, but I still give into this temptation. Why do I still have this longing for sin, for evil? That's because the fruit hasn't caught up to the tree yet. Stop focusing 
on the fruit. That's not what you want anyway, because even if you were given the desire of your heart, it's not going to bring shalom. Number two, what is it? What does the idea of shalom mean in the Old Testament, really? Peace with God, peace from within. This is one that if you're not a Christian in the room, I can't make you understand and you're not going to believe it. And because honestly, I even thought about not including it because like you're just going to kind of go, well, whatever, man, because I can't define it. But if you know Jesus, it doesn't mean you're in it all the time. I guarantee you know what I mean when I say there's a peace that doesn't make any sense sometimes. That's because you're already grafted to the tree. So even when the fruit's bad, even when the winter comes, even when it feels like you're not a part of the tree, even when some of the other branches tell you you're not, there's a strange peace that says, I'm okay, right, because I'm with my Father. It's supernatural. I can't explain it to you. There's a peace from within, a peace that's bigger than circumstances, which is why Jesus could say to us what? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. How can that make sense when you look at John 16, 33? He says what? I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous courageous because I have conquered the world. The tree has conquered. Stay with me. I will keep you safe. I will keep you healthy. I'm going to keep you in shalom, and someday I'm going to come back, and I'm going to make everything in shalom. Wholeness. Christians in the room, sometimes you may take this and twist it. The enemy's going to lie and say, well, you don't always have peace inside, of course. You ready? You ready for the Bible now? What happened when Peter walked on water? Like, yeah, we all know the story, but let's, let's think of it in the context of shalom. When Peter f- focused on Jesus, what was he able to do? Walk on water. <laughs> I gave you the, the clue, right? I told you the answer to the test. So he walked on water. But you ready? How's that possible? Because the circumstances didn't matter. He was in shalom. He, the circumstances, he was above them. He walked, walked, walked. All of a sudden, he focuses on life and circumstances. And what happens? That shalom, that peace, that wholeness begins to fade. He sinks. Jesus reaches his hand down and grabs him. Even when his faith was weak, pulls him back up. And what does Jesus say? You have little faith. I'm not going to leave you. It's one thing to talk the talk. It's another thing to walk the walk. Man, I want to get through the end, wrap it all around, but the whole New Testament's about that. So some of you in the room, it's like, well, I'm not in peace all the time. Listen, sometimes circumstances are going to try to distract us. That doesn't mean your shalom's gone forever. It means you're in a sinful world. You're a person of peace in a world that isn't in shalom. When we focus on him, here's the promise, the promise of fruit. If you do as I say and walk where I walk, remember? That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is that if not shalom? I am the way you've been looking for. I am the truth and the lies, and I am the life and the death. If you follow me, the promise I give you is not that things won't be hard or you're not going to have trials. You can have courage because the promise is set. You have won. I have won. Death itself can't separate you from me. But some of you all, and young folks, you think Christianity is some of you. That's why, man, some of the kids, man, some of you young people are amazing people. You're going to change the I, I don't want to say names because it makes it seem like they're favorites, but some of these young people are taking their faith seriously and some aren't. That's okay. God loves you. But the ones that take their faith seriously in a world, right, that doesn't want them to, you think we're in it? They're in it. You know what God's going to do with you? What he's going to do with a a teen that follows him into shalom when the whole world tells you it's stupid? When 24, 25% of kids claim to be LGBTQ now, when 10 to 15 years ago it was 4%? When kids that are tempted with that and and say they have it right continue to follow him, you don't think God's going to honor that? challenging peace from within he promised you to that but here's the thing it takes faith now let's start thinking okay i've given you shalom if shalom's not here yet and we know god's not a liar what does that mean i'm about to kick a podium don't you'll talk all the time except when i ask you to 
If there isn't shalom yet, but he's promised it, what does it mean? It's coming, right? What'd you say? Yeah, what'd you say? That's good too. That was my second point. Great, you got ahead. Yes, it's coming. But you know what's crazy? Your problems can't stop shalom from coming. How do we know? Because Jesus said, I will complete, I will finish the good work I began in you. You can come kicking and screaming and drag, but once he's got you, he ain't letting you go. He ain't letting you go. Now, he'll let you wonder and get scraped up. You want to, sometimes he has to, but he ain't going to let you go. So he's coming. The shalom is coming. But what's the problem? What does he say? You have to follow me. Now let's wrap this up in everything Jesus said. He says what? Count the cost. There's going to be a cost to follow me. The world's going to think you're crazy. It's not going to make sense. They're going to persecute you. That was the warning to the disciples. It's very specific in John 14. He was talking to them and saying, they're going to scatter you. They're going to kill you. They're going to do horrible things. But those that remain to the end will experience my shalom. You got to have an eternal viewpoint. Faith means trusting that the shalom is coming and acting like it's already here. No? That's good. That's faith. It's not being delusional. It's walking in confidence. Number three. Now this one's the one that's hard. Peace with others. Jesus brings peace with others. Why? Because he gives you the ability to forgive. Does that not bring peace? Can, you're, you're able to forgive the unforgivable. You're called to forgive enemies. You're called to pray for them. Just you alone. If everyone in the world was a Christian, right, even us broken Christians, if everyone in the world that was a true Christian that fails, but if everyone in the world right now became a Christian, we would have less conflict. Todd, that's not possible. There's conflict all the time in the church. Mm-hmm. Because some of them ain't Christians. For one, and we're broken anyway. I cause, bro, that's something I'm going to talk. Bro, bro, see, I'm cool. <laughs> that's one of the things that really hit me that God's kind of been asking me. Am I an agent of chaos or an agent of shalom? What do I bring when I come into a room? Not enough shalom. So we know that the whole of this peace, the wholeness of shalom means what? It means peace with God, peace within, peace with others. And then when God comes back, when Jesus returns, I mean, when Jesus returns as king and he what? Gets rid of evil, destroys the enemy, restores Eden. Guess what's going to happen? All those things will be eternal. There won't be any conflict, Jacob. You and me ain't going to fight anymore. I'm just kidding, right? You won't have to doubt because he'll be there. You're not going to wonder if he's coming. There's going to be peace with each other. All of those things fade away. That's the promise. Now listen, number four, though, and this is important for you to understand as we understand the concept of the whole of peace. It is not a promise of no conflict. You must understand this. It is not a promise of no conflict. In fact, Jesus told you something that we don't want to hear. If I just focused on one verse, what does it say? He says, right, you will have suffering in this world. That's the sermon. So you're going to go, uh, I hate that, guys. If I'm honest, I hate reading that because my mind goes, oh, boy, when's the next time the suffering's coming? Right? That's what we think. But also, as, as, you, as you really, if you let yourself think about it, God is so honest and good. Jesus Christ is so good, he's not, he doesn't lie to us. He tells us the truth. Listen, you guys made a mess here. I'm going to enable you to walk through it and have peace through it, but it's not going to be fully complete until I come back and fix the mess. But don't focus on the mess. Don't focus on the disaster. Focus on me because I've already won and you're with me. So what? It's just a matter of time. It's not a promise of no conflict. In fact, Jesus says there's going to be conflict because you are shalom in a world that doesn't want it. You have an enemy that says, I want to destroy your shalom. I want to make you focus on all of this mess so that you forget who the shalom bringer is. You start relying on yourself. You start relying on your spouse. You start relying on your girlfriend or boyfriend. You start relying on your desires. You start relying on your money. You start relying on anything but the Messiah because he knows that the moment you put your faith in anything but the Messiah, and faith means, as a Christian, right, you put uh, your hope 
your joy and your peace on that thing, it will fail you. And if he can get you discouraged, he, can never, he can't take your salvation. But boy, if he can get you discouraged, he can make you an unhealthy Christian. An unhealthy Christian doesn't grow good fruit. And what happens? A healthy, an unhealthy Christian puts its light on the ground and covers it. So that's just one less bright light for the world to see. Because I want to prevent as many people as I can from what? From shalom. I don't want him. I don't want you. You know that, Sydney? He wants to discourage you because he doesn't want you to point people to shalom, to wholeness with God, to peace. He doesn't want that. The Bible tells us that even, it's kind of funny, Revelation sort of tells us the beginning too about what the dragon said. The dragon couldn't get the son, so he went after what? The followers. Paraphrase, but that's what it says. The dragon is the enemy. Once the plan went into effect, he knew it was over. But can I make you believe it's not? Can I weaken you? Can I make your life miserable? Can I make you take your life? Destruction. The enemy is the opposite of shalom. It's not a promise of no conflict, so what is it a promise of? Listen, please, I don't ask often. Hear this. It is a promise of of peace, of shalom in the midst of struggles and trials. Some of you that don't know Christ are going, this don't make a lick of sense. It doesn't. You know what the Bible calls it? The mystery of the gospel. I don't get it all. I just know it's real. But guess what else I don't get? Computers or gravity. Hey, one dude in here, I'm thankful for that guy. He's like, he's right. Yeah, I'm with you, brother. I don't get it, right? You ever think about computers? It's a whole different topic. Tim's mocking me somewhere. These are magic boxes. They make no sense. <laughs> Not, there's, yeah, I gotta leave it. Not a promise of no conflict. But see, a promise of no conflict would be a false promise, and we'd walk away. That's, he's so good that he's honest. And I haven't arrived there, guys. I haven't arrived there. And neither of you probably fully. But hopefully today, I have more faith in the Prince of Shalom than I did before. Prince of Peace. So you ready? I'm gonna wrap this up for you a little bit. I need you to hear me. I told you earlier, this changed my view of the gospel. Of everything I see in the New Testament now, changed when I really, I'm serious. So what does it mean that the Messiah, the Christ, would be the Prince of Peace? Well, clearly, as I've said, and as let's just be, can we just talk? Clearly, looking at this world that we're in now, we know that it can't mean peace in the way that we think. At least not entirely, right? Agreed? Eli, you with me? You agree with me? Don't be happy about it. Be angry. Literally, he goes, I'll tell all your secrets from when you're a kid. <laughs> At least not entirely. So what does it mean? Well, the first aspect of this title, this name, this Prince of Peace, Ruler Shalom, for Lord Jesus is that he is the author of our peace with God. He is the peacemaker the bridge to the creator, the restorer of our soul, and the redeemer of creation. He came into the chaos, the destruction, and the ugliness that resulted from your and my rebellion. And he brought the hope of peace, followed by the path to peace. See, when he came and walked, and we see in the New Testament, he was teaching about peace, where to find it, and then he said, this way, follow me and I will take you to peace. Isn't that crazy? I'm gonna take you to the gulf. Here's the gulf. On the other side is peace. Follow me, follow me, and now I will die so you can walk over my body to the other side. He is the prince who saves us in every conceivable way. Hear me now. When I look at my own life, he also brings peace by showing me the way by restoring me to creator, and I kind of said that, but he also shows me the way. What is the way of shalom, David? What is the way of shalom? It's one thing to have it, but what is it to live in it? He brings peace through purpose. You hear me? Some of you say, what is the point of life? I'm not gonna make you raise your hand, but I bet you've thought it. The point of life is the way, is him, is God, that you are made 
to reflect the glory of God. That doesn't mean you sit in this room and just sing and play a harp all day. It means you go into this world that has no peace and you bring peace in the special way and unique way that you do that your Father created you to do. We don't have to wonder about aimlessly looking for purpose. We don't have to carry the weight of which path is right in a world that tells us there's a million. He shows us the way, and this means in a very literal way. We so many times, right, we get paralysis by analysis in this world. Can you imagine those of you that have been Christians for so long, even if you're not always in Shalom, you forget what it is to not believe. You forget what it is to not at least have some concept of the truth. No wonder the world is broken. They're running around looking for a Messiah in all the wrong places, looking for the right way. So they go down one path and they find out it doesn't lead to anything good. And they run to the other. And life is a constant game of running. Paralysis by analysis can be silenced by letting the Messiah establish our steps, which in turn gives us a greater purpose. Yes, you may be a business owner. That's just what you do. That's not who you are. You may be a bricklayer, you may be a trash man, you may be a teacher, you may be it does, you may, it does, a student, it doesn't matter. You're still, you have purpose, and that purpose matters, right? The bricklaying and all that stuff is a way for you to bring light into places that are normally dark. Because without Jesus, there is no shalom. Jesus is in you, the Holy Spirit's in you. Without God, there's no shalom. So what happens without the light, there is only dark. You are a shalom bringer. You are. You don't see the spiritual realm. When you walk into a room of darkness, you are the light. That's why they hate you. Jesus says this. You're like, well, some people, why do my family that aren't believers all of a sudden randomly hate me? You know why? Because without even knowing, the light that's inside to you reveals the darkness of their own hearts, and they can't face that. Jesus essentially says in a parable, this is paraphrased, but what he says about that is he says, listen, when the darkness hates the light, and essentially humanity is in darkness, right? That's why it says he is the light of the world. They have two options in light. What, right? This is, I don't mean to compare us to rats, but it's kind of, what do they do? There's two options. People will either retreat farther into the darkness because they hate the light, or they'll accept that I have to walk out into the light and have all of my darkness exposed and cleansed and restored so that I can what? Have shalom. Jesus is the completion of everything you're looking for. Listen to me. I may be, it may be one person in the room. You know what's crazy? If you were the one person in the room that right now you're having that moment where you're like, even though this guy's rambling, somehow I'm so focused. That's the Holy Spirit. And you know what's even crazier? He's talking just to you. It doesn't matter if this entire crowd isn't listening. God may have set this up so you can hear this. Listen. He is the completion of everything you are looking for. Who's you? You. He is the completion of everything you need. He's the missing piece that is required to make you whole. My daughter has a, she's a genius, that's what I say, but she has a, we have a puzzle and she's kind of starting to, she, there's an animal puzzle with dinosaurs. And it, it's just so, you know, she's also very, very stubborn. I don't know where she gets that from. And, <laughs> And so when she has a problem, her first instinct so far is to just break the problem. So she'll take, and I remember this, I haven't even told anybody this, I haven't told my name's only one. So I'm sitting there with her because I have her twice a week by myself and I'm trying to talk with her and she's putting the puzzle piece and she's taking the brontosaurus and she's trying to force it into the stegosaurus slot. And she's moving it and twisting it and like she's, right? And then eventually, you know, daddy help, right? She can't, no matter how hard she tries, force a piece that doesn't fit. Jesus is the piece that you are missing and your life is in chaos and brokenness because you keep trying to fit pieces that don't fit in there. And you know it. Even the angry ones in the room, because I know you're, you know it. He is the missing piece required to make you whole. He is the completion. It's all caps here in my the completion. He's the end of what you're looking for. There's no other answer. There's no more. In him is the answer to every question, the fulfillment of every longing, the hope you've been looking for, the hope you've been longing for. 
the love you've been seeking, the end of your shame, the peace in your chaos, the calm in your storm. He is all of it, the alpha and the omega, the beginning, the end. He is I am. Some of you go, what does that mean? It's what God called himself. I am what? How do you describe something that's everything? Jesus is not the picture you have of him. He's not the plate on the wall. He's not a choice. As Christians today in America, I look at some of you and you reject parts of him and think that you're following him because you don't like it. You're going to tell the Alpha and the Omega, I don't like that part? He doesn't change. You change. Otherwise, you will never have shalom. Now I want us to see, I told you, I made the promise, I've been saying it since the beginning, about the Gospels. You ready for this, David? You're a friendly face. I'm looking at you because there's, there's a bunch of grumpy people in here. Look at Jericho. He ain't even, he's asleep. I don't See? Now I want you guys to see, do me a favor, we're almost done. If you pay attention, I'll end in 10 minutes. If you don't, I'll go 45. And then you got to awkwardly walk out. Oh, now heaven's in. All right, yeah. Listen, that's the name of a person. Someone online, what does he mean? Now see the gospels through the lens of shalom, through Jesus being the prince of peace. You ready? He's the bread to the hungry. 5,000. He's the bread and the fish to the people that are hungry. He's the light and the dark. He's a defender to the defenseless, whether it's the adulteress, right? Whether it's the blind man that's cast out, he's the defender. He's the savior of the oppressed. Take care of the poor and the broken and the widows. I see them. What this world says is a value isn't a value to me. Give honor to those that the world despises. Why? Because they matter to me. Every story, do you see it? He's the touch to the leper. He's a touch to the untouchable that's longing to be touched. He's the healer of the sick person that's lost all hope. He's the calmer of the storms at sea. He's the calm when you're in a storm and he needed it. Do you see the stories now? Do you see what he's doing? He's the seeker of the lost. He's the father to the fatherless. He's the way among ways. He's the good shepherd. He's the rest to the burden and the forgiver of the sinful. Every lesson, every parable, every action, every story in the New Testament is just another sliver for him to paint to you that he is the whole. He is shalom. He is everything you need. And until you accept that, until I accept that, we'll never have it. Let that sink in now. See the New Testament through those lenses. Why does he do it? He meets every need. Who touched me? Even the people he's not looking for that look for him, he stops and looks at a bleeding woman and says, who touched me? You're healed. See that every lesson, every parable, every action, every story is trying to get us to understand Jesus as the prince of peace, the bringer of wholeness, the Lord of shalom. He is the one who brings wholeness and fulfillment. Listen, of every single need that you can ever imagine, he's the originator of it. Even those that are like, well, how is he the one that's behind my desire for a wife? What are you really longing for? How good is a God that gives you a small picture of the relationship he has with you? That's why men and women that spend, Christian men and women do this too, they're told to put their shalom in building a family and then they end up 50 going, what's going on? Marriage is a beautiful thing, but it's not where shalom is. Jesus is coming back to bring shalom to all of creation. Did you know that's the promise? Go and spread the good news of the gospel. What's the good news? I bring shalom. I'm the bringer. Tell them that if they're looking for it, I can give it to them. And what does he say in the end of Matthew, Matthew 28? Go and spread the good news of the gospel. And remember, I'm with you till the very end of the age. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come back to you. Revelation that you're all waiting for is the story of when the king comes back and brings shalom with him. 
to all of creation. And those that aren't here, that aren't agents of shalom, get thrown away and destroyed. If you're going to come play some music. And I want, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Maybe this was for me. Remember I told you, like some of you that were listening, maybe this sermon is for me because it's changed me. Faith is not having all the answers to every question in your mind. That wouldn't require faith, right? Faith is stepping when maybe you only see a little piece of the way, but he said, follow me. Well, I don't know what's around that curve. I know. Isn't that fun? I do. That's what's beautiful. You know, I I wasn't going to mention this. A couple things. The Chosen. Right, It's sort of a uh, the, the TV show, The Chosen. You may not know this, but in Christianity, it's kind of become a lightning rod. There's people I respect, theologians and pastors, who say that it is sinful because it's essentially making a graven image of the Lord, right? It's a person. I don't think that, by the way. But you know what's interesting? Do you know some of you, like your faith comes alive when you watch that Jesus, and you might even feel guilty, like, why do I love this guy? I know he's an actor. You know what's crazy? Is that every good thing you see in that actor is what Jesus is. Every moment that's shown to you is actually an imperfect black and white copy of the colored original. He's better than that. He is that. That's minimum of what he is. So if I just if Jesus was like this, he is. He that is minimum of who he is. You know, I, I if you notice, you've been paying attention. You ready? You like this, Chris? Said your name, Chris. Is that your first time or second time? It won't be your last. <laughs> right? I skipped everlasting father among his titles. And you're like, well, how can this be the end? Because it's important, but I wanted to attach it to this. So the kind of prince of peace that Jesus is, remember, this is all one name. Even ever, It's either t- typically translated everlasting father, eternal father. And even that we kind of lose because of our culture. A father back then, right, the Lord, the father, is God, right? But the father, that he's an eternal father, what did a father bring to nomadic people in the Old Testament? He was protector, he was provider, he was the center of the family, right? You may not know that he was. Stuff we don't know nowadays, we don't think of it that way. We don't often have to go out and fight off people for our family, but he is the one who provides prosperity and security. So this title, this everlasting, is actually crazier than we think. Because what it really means is, you could also translate it never-ending. He is the never-ending Father, Prince of Peace. So he is the never-ending, right, bringer of prosperity and safety and security, who is also the ruler of Shalom. So what that means is, is that this Shalom promise, the beauty of the Messiah, is it's not one time in the past when you came to know him. It's not just when you are perfectly in obedience to him. It is a promise that's bigger than you that goes on for eternity. Here's the crazy thing. We can't comprehend it. He's already there. It's everlasting, never-ending. So the promise of Shalom isn't a one-time thing. It isn't a past thing. It is a forever thing. Never-ending shalom is what's promised to you. You know what that means? You ready for this? It just means it's going to get better and better. To the believers in the room, Christians, you call yourself, i got to ask you a question. you got to be honest with yourself. I had to. Well, first I want to tell you this and remind you, he's everything you've ever been looking for. Don't forget that. It's not a one-time thing. And you know it. That's why I love talking to you. You think I don't like you because you're Christians because people don't think I like them. I love you guys. You're my brothers and sisters. So I can say this and you get it and the other ones in the room won't get it yet, but you get this. He is everything, isn't he, that you've ever looked for. And when you remember that, everything falls into place, doesn't it? You have peace in those moments. And I know you get distracted, me too, but when you have those brief moments, whether it's in worship, whether it's during altar, or whether it's you driving down the road and all of a sudden you have that realization of who he is and who you are and how safe you are, boy, it brings a peace, man. He is everything you've been looking for and are looking for. And out of that, he offers you the type of peace nothing and no one can ever give you. He didn't do it just when you came to know him. He didn't do it just because you haven't sinned this week. Because remember, he already made that whole. He's already paid the restitution. You ready? Now the everlasting, never-ending comes into place. Not just one time, not just in the present. Every sin you will ever commit has already been paid for. 
We have to keep our eyes on him, though. You have to keep your eyes on him. What does it mean to keep your eyes on him? I could leave that to Christianese. You ready for this, Blake? Keeping your eyes on him means doing what he told you to do. It's the only way you can keep your eyes on him. It means reading his word. It means being in prayer. Do you understand it, how it's all attached now? You want the peace. I'm the only one that brings it, which means you got to be close to me. you got to walk in my ways. you got to talk to me. It's real. you got to read my word. Here's the one a lot of you don't like, and the remnant is known for this because I don't guilt you all the time. you got to go be with your family, with other believers consistently, not just when you feel like it. Right? you got to do and go where I tell you to go because that's where shalom is. Things are gonna seem chaotic, maybe they do right now for you, scary and anything but peaceful, but we have to put our trust and faith, which means keep walking. We have to put our trust and faith in the Prince of Peace, the bringer of shalom, the commander of shalom. Here's the question, do you believe that, Christians? Now I said this last week, do you believe that? Have you been believing that? Does your, your life show that you believe that? Be honest. Does it? Let me tell you how. If your entire life up and down is based on a person, thing, circumstance, right? Well, how do I know that? Because you're bitter, you don't have a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a husband, a wife. You don't have enough money, you don't have a good job. That person has more than you. See? Have you been believing that? I mean, do you believe that? Have you been believing that? And here's the question you can, do, you can answer today. Will you believe that moving forward? If you've been here a long time, you know sometimes people come to me and say, I don't know which, you know, which door to go through. And it's what a humbling thing to be asked for advice in those moments, but sometimes I can give advice, and sometimes I, if you know me well, I'll go. I have no clue, but here's what I do know, that God and shalom is on either one. It's through either door. If you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, and listen, nobody can see it, that feeling that the spotlight's on you, that ain't me. That's God talking to you. Listen, 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 listen. Some of you all know of Jesus, but you don't know him. The proof's in the pudding. Not in perfectionism, but in change. Is there change? Has there been change? Any change? The gospel's real simple. I kind of told you. There's no shalom in this world. It's broken. We walked away. We rejected our creator, the branch off the tree, and now the world is filled with a bunch of branches looking for a tree, looking for a way to be healthy. And what comes from that is chaos and all the bad things, the loneliness and the brokenness and the hurt, all of it. And religions, we've created all these different religions trying to make our way back to shalom. Somehow we can make it happen ourselves. Unfortunately, it's divinely brought. If I can get my way to God, but you can't. So what happened was when you couldn't get to shalom, when you couldn't get to peace, when you couldn't get to the creator, the creator came to you. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Great I Am, the Alpha and the Omega, the Beginning and the End, came to us. Jesus of Nazareth existed. No good historian would doubt that. So that leaves us with a simple, simple choice. And I love it. I didn't come up with it. C.S. Lewis did, but it's so good. And this will help some of you. He is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is exactly who he said he was. He didn't say he was a good teacher. He didn't say he was Buddha. He didn't say he was a prophet. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father except through me. So what does that mean? How can you have it? Well, you can't bring it to yourself. You have to put your faith in him. You have to walk away from all the ways you try to get shalom yourself. You have to walk away from your sin. That doesn't mean you clean yourself up perfectly. It says, I don't want to do this anymore, Jesus. See, Jesus lived the perfect life, told us about shalom, showed us it. And remember I told you earlier, he brought us to the cliff and said on the other side is restoration relationship, but you can't get there. That's okay. On the cross, he died to restore. He took your punishment to be restored back to the creator, to the father. Three days later, he rose from the dead to prove that he is who he said he was. And he now offers you a choice today that he's offered every single person that has ever heard the good news. Do you want peace? Do you want forgiveness of your sins? Do you want to stop being mad at everybody all the time because they don't bring you shalom? Do you want peace and joy? Do you want these things that don't make sense? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to not have shame anymore? Do you want to know that when you die that you will never, you're not going to go to hell. Hell's a real place that you'll go and be with God. 
How do I do that? It's very simple. You just have to put your faith in Jesus. What does that mean? God, right? The Bible says if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, he is who he said he was, right? And was raised from the dead, he will be saved. Essentially, do you believe him in what he's done? Well, how do I do that? Confess with your mouth means say it. If you're in the room and you're like, I'm a Christian, but you've never out loud prayed and been willing to even say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. I want this. I mean, it's not magic words, but if you're unwilling, there's an issue. No, before somebody walks out, I'm not saying a mute person can't come to know Jesus, right? He meets you where you're at. But don't use mute people to justify your pride. So you can do that today. I was in the crowd with you. Like, I, I was that guy. I wasn't raised in it. And somebody said, do you want this? And I did. And I raised my hand and they prayed with me and showed me my life has been different ever since. All I had was this book. Guys, I don't, this is the truth. I say that all the time because somebody out in the crowd, it comes from where I came from. You didn't grow up in a church. You didn't grow up in a Christian home. All this stuff sounds good, but you didn't grow that. And you need to hear what I'm telling you now. It's real. I can't explain all of it. It's supernatural. My life has not been easier. That's a lie. If someone told you that, but it's been better. So you have the opportunity today, whether you're a Christian in the room that hasn't been living in Shalom and you need to come back to the Prince of Peace, or whether you're someone in the room that doesn't know Jesus, there's people up here willing to pray with you. There's, there's power in prayer. But this is, your, this is the altar. You can get on your knees. You can do what you want. You don't have to, but this time is for you to respond to God. Listen to me, particularly if you're in the room and don't know Jesus. It's a scary world, and I'm not trying to terrify you, but scary things happen. And sometimes we say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it when I get this cleaned up. Tomorrow's not promised, but right now is. Take advantage of it. Don't leave the same as you came in, because if you do, you're choosing to.